Can you go first this week? Yeah. Why? Cool. Good. Thank you. Uh, there's a reason. Just just uh, go with it when I it happens. I kind of wanted you to go first, but it's fine. I'll go first. Why? Because I was supposed to go first anyway. But oh, I was right, hoping okay. that you might forget. And you asked me first to go first, so... Sorry. Why you. do you want me to go first? Well, there is a reason. Oh, I've got a reason as well. <laughs> we both got a reason. John oh, this is interesting. Ken... No, I asked first. <laughs> you swear at me. No, I did scissors. Okay. Good. Two friends just made a podcast. Two good friends just made a podcast. Two friends just made a podcast. It's called Culture Bucket. Two friends just made a podcast. Two good friends just made a podcast. Two friends just made a podcast. Culture Bucket. Okay, thank you for joining us. Welcome back to Culture Bucket. Another episode is in your ears right now. Today we're doing top five musicals. We're feeling musical. I'm your host, George, as always. And with me, as always, is Alex. Hi. Hi. Hi, George. Hi, everyone. Hi, hi. Yeah, hi, everyone. Um, we're comfortably in 2021 now. It's yeah. probably February as you're hearing this. Mm-hmm. Well, how exciting. A new yes. era has begun in the world. A whole um, new world. Exactly. Um, Aladdin is excited. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, today we're going to bring you top five musicals. We're going to discuss our homework from yep. last time, which should be exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but first, as always, it's time for a little bit of... Culture catch-up. This is culture catch-up time. This is where we talk about what we've watched, what we've read, what we've listened to, and probably some other stuff. Yeah, so I've had some time off, so I've been uh, watching a square screen for a while. Uh, so I finally watched the entire first season of His Dark Materials. Oh, okay. The uh, Philip Pullman adaptation. The Philip Pullman adaptation of... uh, So the season one is from his first book, uh, if you're an English audience, is Northern Northern Lights. Lights. And if you're an an American audience, is The Golden Compass. I don't know why they changed it. Do you know? Uh, Why did they change it? Um, I think... Because they felt like I think the cover art, isn't it, is of the Alephiometer, mm. which isn't a compass. It's absurd. Yeah, exactly. But then I think they wanted to draw people in by having it be like, oh, that's an interesting object. What is the Golden Compass? Whereas Northern Lights is a bit more, I guess, anonymous. It doesn't really mean anything necessarily. I guess so. Uh, I do prefer. I just dis- I Lights, disagree. Though. But uh, yeah. that's what they did. They should yeah. have called it at least the Golden Alephiometer. But then uh, <laughs> people wouldn't have known what that was. Yeah. Uh, so um, if uh, um, you don't know what uh, the Northern Lights is, um, the first book introduces uh, Lyra. She's an orphan yeah. and she lives in a world where everyone has a demon. And once you reach puberty and, and this demon changes a lot. Um, but if you're a boy, you have a demon girl, uh, a girl demon. And if you're a girl, you have a boy demon. And when you're a kid, it changes uh, it shapeshifts. 
<laughs> Sorry. And uh, when you hit puberty, then it uh, uh, it stays uh, one animal. So yeah. Mm. And um, so uh, in the first book, she um, uncovers a plot that involves uh, stolen children. And uh, she wants to find out what happens because her friend um, Roger goes disappearing. And uh, it's amazing. It's beautiful. So this season, this series, um, I thought at the beginning it went quite slowly. It took me maybe a few weeks to get in. Like I watched one episode, then a week passed, then watched another episode. But then the more the series went on, the better it got. And okay. the more I watched. And by the end, I was hooked. And I cried like a baby at the end. I knew exactly what was going to happen. But I, I cried. Just brought back lots of memories. That's interesting. <laughs> I love the portrayal of Mrs. Coulthard. I think she's amazing. She's scary. She's sweet. She's powerful. She's evil. Oh, um, I, don't, I, I wasn't convinced about Lyra, but I think because she's a young actress, and I'm not diminishing her age i think she had to get into the part and the more mm. the more if the the story went on uh, the series went on uh she got better and better and better and by the end she was really cool and i think in the second season she's gonna be amazing and i think the second okay, season is gonna be the second book the subtle knife yeah which is kind of i love the subtle knife and yeah uh, and yeah, then yeah. they're renewing it for a third season as well. So I think they're going to be able cool. to do all three books, which is amazing because after the first film, which was not too bad if you've never seen, you never read the books, but pretty bad if you read the books. I don't know. I'm I'm excited. Did That's you cool. manage to finish I... it? No, I watched, I think, two or three episodes. The last one mm. I remember watching is where Lyra escapes from Mrs. Coulter's uh, apartment in London during yeah. the party. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I sort of fell off it because uh, I think, like you said, I wasn't keen on the actress playing Lyra. Um, she yeah. did The character just seemed more passive than the one in the book, if you see what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and... I don't know. It's not that I actively hated it or disliked it, but it just didn't grab me enough to give it the time. And there was other stuff on, you know, that I was watching and things like that. So I didn't really prioritize it and then ended up just falling off it. I'll probably watch it again at some point um, because mm. the casting is a mate. Like Ruth Wilson, who plays Mrs. Coulter, is really good in it. <sighs> and it gets better. And she I gets was... eviler. Oh, it's so good. And I, that's the episode that kind of, I kind of, it just, after that episode, it gets better. Okay. Just because... How do they do um, Iric Burnison? Is that well done? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. It's very well done. Like, I enjoyed it. And how's uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda in there? <laughs> Let's not talk about it. Because, you know, in the books, I said that Lee Scorsby was my favourite character. And I don't think Lee Scorsby is my favourite character anymore. Oh, no. Oh. That's sad. <laughs> I don't know what's with him. Like, I'm, I think it's too jolly. I don't know. It's just like, I know Lee Scorsby's a nice guy, but not that jolly. I don't know. But it's okay. Um, well, <laughs> <laughs> well, You've got a real eh? bee in your bonnet about Lin-Manuel Miranda. I know. I know. And especially, uh, you know, this episode, we're going to talk about musicals. And I just watched a lot of stuff with Lin-Manuel. Like, 
Right, fair enough. Uh, yeah, and then um, I uh, watched a Netflix film uh, called um, The Life Ahead, uh, which is an Italian film, and the Italian title is La Vita Davanti a Se. Is a film with Sofia Loren. Do you know her? I mean, I recognise those words, but I don't know her. Incredible, amazing Italian actress, like uh, powerhouse of Italian acting. You know, if you're Italian, you know Sofia Loren. She's amazing and she's been in incredible films and uh, she has retired from acting. However, this film is directed by her son, Eduardo Ponti. And so she came back to act for this uh, film and she is amazing so uh, the story is about uh, this boy um, Momo uh, played by Ibrahim Aguye which I think is his first uh, film and he's a boy from Senegal who uh, has lost his mother and uh, he wants to like kind of find um, kind of a family again and meaning to life again so he kind of finds Uh, family in this um, man who is uh, a drug dealer in um, in the city uh, the the film is um, set and uh, so he does petty crime to look cool and um, however the the person that um, kind of has him in custody uh, a Dr. Cohen uh, Mm. he doesn't want him to have that kind of life so he takes him uh, to um, his friend, uh, this woman called Madame Rosa, uh, who um, is a former prostitute, and she um, and a Holocaust survivor actually as well. And uh, her, what well, after? Well, she stopped being a prostitute, and uh, her now what she does is uh, what she's been doing for for years is look after the children of the prostitutes in the in the area because it's not a very rich area. Um, and so, um, yeah, and, and then it's kind of how they get used to each other and how then she helps him, but then in the end he helps her because, you know, various issues happen and it's a beautiful film (laughs) and, and really nice and kind of shows how like people that might be considered the, the low of society, are the ones that are the most open and uh, there to help you, you know, because they know how it feels to be not accepted and not have a family or be um, maltreated? Yes, mistreated. That's an Italian word, maltreated. (laughs) Mistreated. And, um, yeah, and it's a beautiful film about community, about um, love and very nice and it's on netflix and i would definitely recommend it lovely what's it called again uh it's called the life ahead the life ahead when did it come out it came out in 2020 i think november 2020 oh, okay yeah it was i hadn't to come heard out. of it at all is it sort of are they just putting it out in a, it i mean i'm sure it's out worldwide but is it maybe bigger in italy i just hadn't heard of it at all uh, well, it's probably bigger in Italy because it has Sofia Loren, uh, but mm. it was supposed to come out in the cinemas, but because of COVID, they put it on Netflix. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. No yeah. Uh, 
Uh, yeah, very good. What recommend. Up, what up next? Uh, what up next? Uh, what up next? I'm carrying on my marathon of films with Chadwick Boseman. And my next film oh, okay. is Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Okay, good, good, good. Yeah, another film on Netflix uh, yes. starring uh, Viola Davis, uh, Chadwick Boseman, Colman Domingo, Glyn Turman, Michael Potts, uh, Jeremy Summers, Seamus, Summers. <laughs> Etc. Etc. It's um, a film uh, set uh, over the course of an afternoon recording session in 1920s Chicago. Um, And while this band of musicians um, is waiting for um, the mother of blues, played by Earl Davis, Ma Rainey, and uh, she's late for the session and um, they kind of like, well, the beauty of this film before I carry on is just when it finished, I was like, it feels like a play because yeah. it's only set in basically two rooms, uh, the recording uh, session room and the, the artist room. Mm. And um, well, like the green room. Yeah, the green room, which is not really a green room. And um, <laughs> it's like, well, it's basically the basement. And right, right. Um, it's so there's lots of monologues. And I was like, oh, this sounds like a, like a play. In fact, it, it is, is a play, right? Yeah, yeah, oh, it is yeah. a play. I didn't know about it. Yeah. And then at the end, um, after the film, there's also a special. So I watched the special because I really, really enjoy the film. And um, so it's basically uh, the film is about the the musicians waiting for Ma Rainey and she's arriving late um, and then trying to start recording, stopping recording, you know, from room to room. It's Mm. beautiful. It's a beautiful film. Well done. Uh, Chadwick Boseman blew my mind. There's a scene where he does a, where he does a, a monologue where I was like in tears. It was so beautiful. I was just like, yeah. (sighs) What a, what a, like, it just upsets me that such a powerhouse is not... I, I can't see him anymore. Um, yeah. And there's this beautiful scene where he just talks, he's talking to Jesus and it feels... And you know that he knows that he's dying because he's so skinny in this film and it's one of his last ones. And it feels yeah, like... Yeah, I saw in the trailer. And it feels like he's like talking him to Jesus. And it's just... Oh, it's beautiful. And... Um, it's it's a climax of a film. It's just a big climax, like a big theatric. It's beautiful. I recommend it a hundred times. I even recommend watching the special because when it finishes, you don't want it to be finished. And <laughs> so straight mm. after on Netflix, like, do you want to watch the special? Like, yes, I want to watch the special. Yeah. It's pretty and, short as well, isn't it? So yeah, it's only like an hour and a half. Yeah, yeah. And Viola Davis is amazing. And everybody is really good in it. And I think as a film, be, like, as, a, as a play, being put into a film must have been quite challenging. Because mm. being in a theatre is completely different and how you do things. And, like your feelings in a theatre have to be like a hundred, don't they? Because you have to yeah, yeah, show yeah. how you feel. And this kind of worked, even if it was in film and you didn't have to be so much it still worked oh, yeah beautiful there's definitely film. examples of um things that work really well in the theater just being transferred into film mm. and completely not working i'll yeah. be talking about an example of that in a little bit 
<laughs> great. Uh, yeah. yeah. But no, I thought this really worked. The music, great. I found out about um, uh, Ma Rainey, who seemed to be like a pretty cool, uh, awesome woman. And uh, it's about race struggle, power struggle, and uh, how, you know, she was, how, what, how powerful so Ma Rainey was by, you know, being her and uh yeah it's a really really good film i definitely recommend it and i love chadwick boseman more and more <laughs> yeah there's a lot of talk of him getting a posthumous oscar for that film potentially oh, oh if he did it definitely deserves it because that scene that monologue in the scene is just incredible like mm. one of the best things i've seen in a long time um yeah and then uh what else have i watched oh yeah i watched uh, spider-man homecoming i uh oh finally the Good. bullet paid for it wish i hadn't next uh, oh. wait hang on <laughs> what it's rubbish what are you talking about it's, it's not rubbish. rubbish i just I, I don't think i like spider-man i think i just oh don't my like spider-man Lord. rubbish like you absolute... liked into the sp- it's oh. not rubbish. Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> what are you talking about? Oh, it's terrible. I was so bored by the end. I just, I think, yeah, I was so bored. Did not care for it. Um, also, I think you I've already seen it. You are a strange person. I don't know. I knew. I knew that, um, what's his name? Uh, Michael Keaton was the bad guy. I don't know how I knew. But I, I knew. told you that. Eh? I told you he was the bad guy. In like oh, no, an no, no, no. Sorry, his... sorry. Completely. I'm right. I, no, no. I I'm knew confused. that Michael Keaton was the father. Like, I knew. So I was like, oh, have I, I see. seen this film? Oh, right, okay. Is it is it that predictable? Have I seen it? I don't know. Rubbish. Oh, my God. I'm going to watch the other one as well, because apparently it's better. Um, right. Talking with my sister. She's like, watch Far From Home. It's really good. I don't have to pay for that one, thank God. Uh, <laughs> Far From Home is really good. Uh, but this one was rubbish. Um, wow. Yeah. Sorry. Wrong opinions on the podcast. I know. That's terrible, isn't it? <laughs> like, I like the actors as singles. I think, I think it's like, it's a cool idea. I love, I love the aunt. Uh, she's amazing. And, you know, but I just, oh, I don't know. I just, just... which is I like bad. That they made it a proper high school teenage- film. I love high school films. Like that's. My I know. Thing. I thought you'd be I, really up your street. It, I thought it'd be really up my street. I just think I don't. I just maybe the supporting just, cast are really charismatic. Zendaya's really good in it. Yeah, I just. I mean, I just don't like it. That's fair enough. If you don't yeah, like it, you don't like it. You exactly. can't be forced to like it. No. Uh, and then um, a film that we already spoke about. So I'm just gonna say I watched it. I watched Enola Jones. Thought it was brilliant. Really good film. Oh no, Enola Holmes. I put Enola Jones on my thing. Why did I? It's put not Enola, Enola Jones, Jones is it? <laughs> <laughs> and then I watched the film that we already talked about, uh, Enola Holmes. I thought it was really good. Good recommendation, cool. George. Really, really. Oh, you're welcome. Good. I'm glad yeah. you liked it. Yeah, I thought it was brilliant, actually. Yeah, and it wasn't too long. You said it was too long. It was too long. <laughs> I thought it was just <laughs> right. Okay, well, that's up to you. Um, and that's it for me for things that I really enjoyed this uh, my past week. Yeah. Cool, but check out Far From Home and see what you think. It's yeah, I'll check Far From Home. So. Yeah, I've w- I've been watching a lot of videos with Jake Gyllenhaal. I think yeah, he yeah. thinks I love him, and so it just keeps appearing, and I keep sending you videos of him. <laughs> well, that's absolutely fine. Keep going with that. 
What about you, G to the F? What about me? Yeah, well, I've watched a few films and uh, a TV shows, so let's have a little little chat about them. Um, I saw the new Wonder Woman film, Wonder Woman 1984. Yes, mate. Yeah, finally, after about a year of trailers and uh, teasing, finally was able to see it, which is cool. Um, it was interesting to watch it. I watched it in early December before it hit HBO Max in America on Christmas Day and the kind of big critical consensus came out where it kind of got, it's gotten really slated, actually. Yeah. Um, people aren't liking it. I liked it, but I thought it wasn't a patch on the first one, which made me cry in the cinema when I saw it. So Aww. it was going to be a tough act to follow. But um, it's a fun, big, exciting superhero movie with like a plot that, has a lot of problems and villain like one villain Maxwell Lord played by Pedro Pascal who has got that classic issue of like I just didn't quite understand why he wanted to do any of the things he did other than that mm. it made life difficult for um Diana Prince and then Kristen Wiig as, as a cheetah who is um sort of she's very good in it but her character again is kind of misused which is disappointing but it's got some fun action that the uh Chemistry between Gal Gadot and Chris Pine is excellent again, and uh, the 80s setting makes mm. for a lot of kind of fun visuals and set pieces and stuff like that. And it kind of, it's a comic book movie in the way that comic book movies haven't been recently, where like it, it includes elements from the comics that you wouldn't expect films now to include because they'd be considered too cheesy and silly. Mm. And it's not afraid to kind of go there with some of those elements, which is, which is fun. And I had a good time with it, but it's not a patch on the first one. Um, but I do think the bashing it's had from people is is probably unearned. But what can you do? Yeah. I just I I just I don't know. I feel, I feel like DC comics are not don't make good films. I haven't watched either Wonder Woman. I should really, but I've heard. Oh, that... you should watch the first Wonder Woman movie. Is amazing. Like it, it is. Yeah, a good I've heard film. it's amazing. But I heard from the same person that thought it was a, the first one was amazing. The second one was absolute rubbish. I wouldn't. I just. I don't. I think that's unfair. But. People are entitled to their opinions. Um, uh, I also watched a a Russell Crowe film, a new Russell Crowe film from 2020 called Unhinged. Have you heard of Unhinged? Nope. Uh, Unhinged is, have you ever seen Falling Down with Michael Douglas? Mm. It's a great film from like the 90s. He plays a man who snaps in a traffic jam one day. Yes, yes, I have seen that one. Yes. It's a good film, right? It is a good film. Yeah. Um... (laughs) It is. Unhinged. Unhinged is almost like a soft remake of that film, but with Russell Crowe as in the Michael Douglas role. And I don't know if he's wearing a fat suit or if he's just beefed up, but he is he looks like a bull elephant in this movie, Russell Crowe. It's crazy. He is huge. Yeah. Um and basically he like the film opens with him walking into a house and burning it down, and you don't really know why. Uh and then it cuts to this young mum taking her son to school one day and she kind of ends up behind him in a traffic jam and he's or no like a crossing a stoplight and um it turns green and he doesn't move and he's in this enormous four by four that like is ridiculously big like the kind of car you'd only get in america yeah and um she's in like a car that's a normal sized car but looks tiny and it's parked next to his car and she beeps him and goes around him and then he spends the rest of the film chasing her down for uh beeping at him and um it's pretty it's pretty like it's not important or special in any way, but I in I I watched it twice actually um, over December because <laughs> <laughs> I uh, 
I enjoyed it so much. Um, okay. I would definitely recommend it. It's a really fun time. It's a bit of a, yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit of a silly film, um, and it's not going to change your life. But Russell Crowe is really good at it because <laughs> he just there's a scene where he um, smashes a coffee mug into another man's face that I could rewind and watch <laughs> over and over again. This is so. Oh. oh, he's 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 a brilliant. Um, He's a good actor. Mm. What can I say? So that was Unhinged, worth watching. After that, I watched a film. Um, I finally watched the film that, when I was growing up, was always hailed as the best film of all time. But uh, I think nowadays is sort of not quite talked about as much, mm. but is still regarded as like a classic that I just had never watched for whatever reason. And I realised it was on the iPlayer in the UK and could be easily watched. So I sat down over Christmas and watched Citizen Kane. Oh, yeah. Have you seen Citizen Kane, Alex? Yeah, a long time ago, though. Yeah, everyone seems yeah. to have watched it a long time ago. I just <laughs> have never yeah. gotten around to it. Um, it yeah, it, I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I really, I had the, the absolute best time. And I knew the twist. I think the reason I hadn't watched it for years is because I know what Rosebud means, which is kind of the whole sort of kicking off point of the film is them trying to find out why this medium mogul says... Um, Rosebud as he's dying but ultimately that isn't actually important like that's like the little mm. twist at the end but the film is really about the examination of a life and kind of a man who shapes the world around him and watching it in the age of Donald Trump is fascinating like mm. the parallels are crazy Definitely. um I can't remember exactly specifically but there, there's a couple of scenes that feel like uh, feel oddly um, prescient, considerate, like th things that he does that have then Donald Trump has done in real life that is bizarre to, like, I don't know, imagine. Um, I need to watch it again. But yeah, yeah, oh, you should yeah. watch it again. And like yeah. anyone out there who hasn't seen it, don't be put off by the fact that it's, you know, it's from the 40s. I mean, I'm probably the last person to watch it or whatever, but if you haven't seen it, don't be put off by the fact that it's an old film. Like, it's incredibly watchable. It, I, I was enraptured by it for two hours and thought it was brilliant, the performances. Mm. I mean, Orson Welles is incredible. I mean, She's prior so prior to watching Citizen Kane, my main experience of Orson Welles was in the Transformers movie from the 80s, which is very well, different. Is that the only thing you watched with Orson Welles? Uh, no, I'd seen The Third Man, but like years ago. Um, okay. Whereas I'd watched, I've watched the Transformers movie a lot. Um, and he, does, <laughs> he voices Unicron in that film, The uh, Living I Planet. I did not know Pretty, he was in the Transformers yeah. movies. I think that was his final role, potentially. Probably, yeah, because he was... Uh, I didn't even know he was alive in the 80s. Yeah, he died no, in 1985. It, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it yeah. was his final role. Um, yeah. A worthy one to end on, Transformers, the movie. So, yeah, uh, Citizen Kane is incredible, obviously. Then, similar to you, I kind of cracked out one of those unseen Chadwick Boseman movies that you have to ration out carefully now because um, <laughs> yeah. there won't be any more, sadly. And... Um, <laughs> I watched 21 Bridges. Oh, yeah. How's that? Uh, I was kind of disappointed. No. <laughs> I know. It was. It starts off really strong. He plays, he plays a detective. He's great in it, obviously. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he plays a detective who is known for having an itchy trigger finger um, and everyone's sort of a bit sceptical of him. And it opens with this gunfight between a couple of criminals and some police where these criminals just mow down like 10 policemen in this bonkers action sequence. And then basically Chadwick Boseman is on the case and he's like, well, we've got to find these guys because they've murdered like a load of policemen and it's ridiculous. So they sh the reason it's called 21 Bridges is because they shut down all the bridges in and out of uh, Manhattan, I think it is, to trap these criminals on the island of Manhattan. 
so that they can track them down. And that portion of the film is pretty ex entertaining, pretty exciting. Chadwick Boseman's great in it. It's really propulsive. It moves really fast. There's a point about halfway, uh, halfway two-thirds of the way through the film where the sort of focus of the movie changes slightly. The plot, the plot kind of alters itself and shifts, and it becomes uh, just these scenes of people holding each other at gunpoint and shouting at each other for like the last 45 minutes of the film and kind of going, you don't want to do this, you don't want to do this, don't do this, you don't want to do this, don't do it. And like that scene will end, and then within five minutes there's another set of people sh holding guns at each other. And it, it kind of, all the energy it had seemed to drain out of it, and it ended mm -hmm. up being quite, which is really disappointing. And I remember... When it came out, it got a, a quite a few middling reviews, and I was like, "But it looks so entertaining. Chadwick Boseman's good. How can this be?" And then I, that turned yeah. out, mm. yeah, un, un, unfortunate, but can't be helped. Um, I'd I'd say you know still watch it and give it a go and see what you think. But um, mm. I was kind of hoping for for more from it, which, which is un, unfortunate. But I might. Then I watched um, the Christmas Chronicles Part Two on Netflix. Mm. Have you seen the Christmas Chronicles Part One, Alex? Nope. So The Christmas Chronicles Part 1 is a film that came out, I think, two years ago, and it stars Kurt Russell as Santa, which is the greatest casting ever, and is a really entertaining, silly family movie um, that I really enjoyed. It, I knew about, I think, about halfway through, there's a scene where Kurt Russell ends up in a prison cell and then has an impromptu um, musical performance where he's backed by the E Street Band, Bruce Springsteen's band. And I was like, I love this movie. This is the best. And I made my family watch it and we all loved it. So when the second one came out this year, I kind of was like, right, wait until I... And then I watched it with my family basically over the Christmas period. And we were all a little bit disappointed by Aww. it. I know, it was unfortunate. Because they brought in Goldie Horn, Kurt Russell's real-life wife, to play <gasps> Mrs. Claus, it, which is a great idea. Yeah, because Goldie uh, Horn doesn't do films very often. And when you she does, you have to watch them. Exactly. She's and she's good in the film. Kurt Russell, again, is good in the film. They brought in Julian Dennison, um, the actor who played the young boy in Hunt for the Wilder People. Okay, yeah. He, he plays a troubled elf in it, um, mm -hmm. whose name I don't remember, and I can't be bothered looking it up because it's not worth it. But he he's sort of the villain of the piece. And it just, it just sort of feels like they've got everyone back together because people like the first one, but they don't quite know mm. why. Yeah. Um, and it got it got kind of okay reviews, so maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong, but it just to me it just sort of dragged the plot kind of mm. it just didn't happen for me. Wasn't too keen on it. I'd I'd maybe say avoid it. But if you haven't seen the first one, definitely check that out because that's a fun mm. movie. Um then, Alex, sorry to keep this yeah. negativity train a rolling, but oh my word, we have got to talk about this. What? I watched the film Cats. I actually saw it on your letterbox <laughs> and I was like, I can't wait to hear this. I just in the saw, week I, when... like, I can't believe you watched it. I can't believe you watched it. In okay. the week when we're talking about musicals, I felt like I had to watch Cats finally. Yeah. And I, it's, I know it's, I know this has all been said before. It is w the worst film I've ever seen. I think it takes the mantle as the worst film I have ever seen in my entire life it is it, it's hideous to look at all of these actors are naked playing cats that look like people but we've just cat fur on the it's just it's hideous to look at yeah that's the first problem is that every frame of the movie you're like it's upsetting 
Mm. Very early on, Rebel Wilson turns up as Jenny Anydots and sings her song about being... I mean, they have all they all declare at the start of the movie, in a song that has the word Jellicle in it over 60 times, they declare that they are all Jellicle cats. What does that mean? Nobody knows. The word Jellicle is said in this movie over 120 times. It, Jellicle. Truly, at the end of the movie, Judy Dench turns to the main cat and says, truly, you are a Jellicle cat. And what does that mean? That, nobody knows what that means, if they're a je- Anyway... Jenny Anydots, Rebel Wilson, declares that she's some other kind of cat, even though they've all said they're jellical cats. She does this song and dance about how she's like a boomfy cat or something. She displays dancing mice that she has that have the faces of human children. Then she displays all of these cockroaches that she's trained to march in a line, and all of the cockroaches have human faces. And then she starts eating them, and the cockroaches are screaming. Then... And I'd heard people talk about those two things before, and I thought that was all the horror that that Rebel Wilson was going to give us. Then Rebel Wilson tears off her own skin to reveal the same skin underneath, but she's wearing a dress. So she has her cat fur, then she's got a dress on, and then she's put like a onesie over the top of that that looks exactly like her skin, and she unzips it and takes it off to it. It's disgusting. (laughs) It's so disgusting. There's a bit where she's holding this thing that looks like a tail, but it's just pink and it looks like something else. And she's singing in, into it like it's a microphone. And then the movie never shows you what it is. She just drops it and it vanishes. And it's like, well, what, 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 what was that? What on earth was that? It's Oh, it's disturbing. Um, that's just one scene. Like, the movie doesn't have a plot. There's no storyline. It is just cats with silly names like uh jenny any dots played by rebel wilson rum tum tugger played by jason derulo and buster for jones played by james corden and mccavity played by idris elba i mean it's just silly names with with a range of brilliant actors to james corden portraying them um and and all that happens is a cat will turn up announce its name sing a song about what it is. For example, James Corden announces that he's called Buster for Jones, declares that he's very fat, and then sings a song about how fat he is. And then he just, just wanders off. And then another cat will turn up and announce that they're called Rumple Teaser and that they like to tap dance. And then they'll do a song about tap dancing and then they'll wander off and another... <sighs> it's astonishingly awful. The only... And this is just because of my own personal biases. The only part of it that I even remotely enjoyed was when Taylor Swift sang, turned <laughs> I up and I was sang a song. Ask about that. <laughs> she turns up on this moon and she she kind of um, throws catnip over everybody and they all go crazy for catnip because it's like cocaine for cats. And then yeah. she sings a song about Idris Elba, and I enjoyed it because it's Taylor Swift and and it. But it's still bizarre. She still looks like a a mutant cat thing. Uh, Ian McKellen and Judy Dench are debasing themselves by being in this, and it's yeah, just sad. Like, that's the thing, you know. They're good actors. Why? Ha- oh, maybe they didn't know it was going to be that bad. I mean, they must have not known it was going to be that bad. But I can't conceive of what they thought it was going to be. I mean, you can tell that they thought it was going to be Oscar nominated, and it was going to be like this big film. And it's just at the end of the movie, Judy Dench turns and stares at the camera and declares that cats. You've learned says you've learned a lot about cats. For example, cats are not dogs. That's an actual line that Judy Dench says while staring into the camera and speaking directly to the audience. Like, what is happening? It's just 
and then I don't even want to get into what into the heavy side layer and how the ultimate aim of the movie is that the cats want to be chosen to die. They want Judy Dench to choose them for death so that they can get in this hot air balloon and fly into the sky to heaven. Oh, is it oh. based on the musical Cats? There, yeah, and like I, I, people say they love the musical, and it's made like billions of dollars. I can't yeah. understand how, because it's like I don't see how this is a case of it working on stage. I mean, I've never seen it on stage. Maybe it really works on stage, but like, it doesn't have a story. There's no story. Mm. It's just, and maybe the songs are better live. Like maybe they did a bad job of the soundtrack because the songs to me sounded almost universally awful. Mm. Um. One person you won't see in the trailers for this, he, he managed to, his agent managed to keep him out of the trailers, even though he's in the film, is Ray Winston. Ray Winston plays a cat in this film, a cockney bad man cat. <laughs> oh, awful. Awful. Yeah, everyone should watch it because it, you should see it to see that just it's just beyond the pale. Mm. Cats. Truly, it's truly a jellical film. <laughs> a jellical cats. Um, then I watched, okay, some positivity. I watched a film called Better Watch Out. It came out, I think, in 2016 from an Australian director. It is a horror film set around Christmas of a babysitter that has to look after a, um, she's like 16, she has to look after a 12-year-old uh, for the evening while the parents are out and uh, people turn up at the home to attack them. It's that kind of film. But it does have a pretty amazing twist on the idea that happens about 45 minutes into the film that sort of reframes the entire thing uh, I don't want to say, even saying that kind of spoils it a little bit so I don't want to ruin it any more than that but if you get a chance to watch Better Watch Out uh, I had to rent it on Amazon Video um, give it a go it's a cool horror film, it's a cool holiday Christmas horror movie and uh, there's probably more of those than you would think but it's um, one of the better ones so um, yeah, check out Better Watch Out then over Christmas, Disney released um, on Disney Plus on Christmas Day. They premiered the new Pixar movie, Soul. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is pretty exciting. So, of course, I watched Onward, the previous Pixar film, instead. Okay. Uh, and didn't watch Soul yet, but I, I think I'll probably watch Soul. But I never, I hadn't got around to Onward, so I decided to sit down and watch Onward, which is a movie where a elf boy, played by Tom Holland, and his elf brother, played by Chris Pratt, go on a quest to um, try and revive their dead father for mm. a day so that they can meet him. Tom Holland's character has never met him and he died when Chris Pratt's character was meant to be like really young. So um, it's got all of that Pixar stuff of like a big fun adventure mixed with like some incredibly real heartfelt emotional stuff um, as mm. well. And when it came out, it kind of got some sniffy reviews of being like, yeah, it's okay, but you know, it's not as good as the other Pixar movies. No. Yeah, well, it's brilliant. I really liked it. I would massively recommend it to anyone. It's really well animated. Obviously, it looks beautiful. The performances are all really good. Julia Louis-Dreyfus is um, the mum as well is brilliant. And um, yeah, I just I would recommend it. If you've got Disney Plus and you haven't watched it yet, check out Onward. Don't let the kind of negative response to it put you down, put you out. It was it was a good time. It was a good time. Good. Yeah, other than that, the only other one to talk about, because I watched all of this over, over the Christmas period and uh, really, really liked it, was the second season of The Mandalorian. Ah, oh, yeah. Yeah. Have you watched any of The Mandalorian yet, Alex? No, I need to, I need to, need to get into that. Yeah, I don't, want to, I don't want to spoil it too much, but I thought the second season uh, expanded the world really, really well. Mm. Um, Pedro Pascal continues to kill it as The Mandalorian. 
It brought back some characters I really enjoyed from the first season. You know, Bill Burr turns up again for a victory lap. Uh, Giancarlo Esposito comes back as uh, Moth Gideon. And um, it just tells a really good story. You find out much more about the child, or Baby Yoda, as everyone calls him. Uh, Rosario Dawson turns up in one episode, and she's fantastic. And um, it's great. It's great. It's got good action sequences. It ends in a really cool way that I think has had some maybe negative responses from some people, but I really like the ending of of the second season. Um, So, yeah, I I think that you should watch it, Alex, so we can talk about it more. But um, Yes. I'd recommend it to everyone. The second season, The Mandalorian, is as good as the first. In particular, the first episode features Timothy Oliphant, who, again, I probably left him out of our top ten actors, honourable mentions list by mistake, but I really like Timothy <laughs> Oliphant, and he's great. He is great in um in his uh, episode of The Mandalorian. So, yeah, that's my culture catch-up done, dusted nice. and away. Um, some Some negative stuff, but some positives in there as well. Hopefully some recommendations for people, and now we can get into homework. Sit down at the back and be quiet and get out your book because it's time to discuss your homework now. Homework time. It was an odd one last time because we we did Marvel films, which both both of us have broadly sort of seen all of them. So we did a sort of free homework thing. My job was to watch Moonstruck and your job was to watch... The Lighthouse. The one from 2019. Yes, Robert Eggers's second directorial feature. Yes, The Lighthouse. Okay, so you told me to watch The Lighthouse and uh, like you said, directed by Robert Eggers and written by Robert Eggers and his bro, Max Eggers. What yes. a nice surname, Eggers. It is a cool <laughs> surname. Yeah. Uh, so the film stars only uh, a couple of people, Robert Pattinson yep. and Willem Dafoe. And there is, a, a, there is one other character, um, uh, Valeria Karaman, but you only see her in a couple of uh, scenes, is mainly just the two men. Yeah, man? pretty much a two, no, two-hander. The two men. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the film is shot in uh, 35 millimeters or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's yeah, in it's black got an and... almost yeah. Yeah, it's square, and is in black and white, and it's about these two men that go on an island in uh, uh, off the coast of Nova Scotia, which is near Canada. So I guess it's very cold and very windy, and mm-hmm. they go to a lighthouse uh, to keep the a lighthouse, and um, uh, Ibrahim Winslow is a lumberjack. Very quiet at the beginning. And uh, Thomas Wake is a grizzled lighthouse keeper. And it's just these two men um, on this island uh, going towards uh, insanity by looking after a lighthouse. That's that's Mm. everything that I found about the film. Like, I mean, that everything says... Like, even before you watch the film, they go, oh, these two men try to keep their sanity... On an island. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's the film. That's the film. Um, you, you're a fan of the film, aren't you? Yes, I am. Good. I you really like this film. Yes. So I hope we can still be friends after what I tell you about <laughs> the film. All right, okay. <laughs> okay, so um, first I watched the, the trailer a while ago. 
the trailer i was like yes this is going to be amazing you know i got really excited about it and like yeah yeah um the trailer is great the trailer is great right um <laughs> Uh, so uh, the film is a uh, uh, square and shot in black and white. So it's very eerie when you get in, and um, you know you see the sea, and it's all very like, oh yeah. And then you know the film starts, and you're like, okay. And then the film goes on, and you go, oh okay. And then after an hour, then nothing is still happening, and I just everything's happening. So much <sighs> is happening. Okay, there was no tension in it. It was, it just felt like a lot of, like for me, tension and madness is about building blocks, yeah? You build the tension and the madness, yeah? You build yeah. it and you build it and you build it and you build it until you are at like breaking point. This film was like up, down, up, down, great monologue, boom. There was no building blocks. Like, there was a little bit of everything, but with no substance at all. Like, I felt like it could have done so much. Like, when they arrived at the end of the four weeks, and I was like, oh, tonight is our last night. And I was like, yes, this is when things are going to get great. I was so excited, yeah? Right. <laughs> then it wasn't. Like, that's, I, I was expecting one night of absolute madness and didn't deliver. It just went on and on for another few days. And it just felt like Eggers was just trying too much to do this weird thing. Like, for example, at the end, I was thinking also about The Shining. You know, The Shining is just this climax, isn't it? It's, it goes on. It's up a hill. And it just up a hill. And there's, there is a feeling. There is something. Something is making the, him mad. You can't yeah. see it, really. You can feel it, and it's making him mad. But here, who's making them mad? Because Defoe gaslights him a couple of times. I was like, oh, it's gas... The first time Defoe uh, gaslights Pattinson, I was like, yes, it's going to happen. It gaslights him. It's like, oh, you did this when we know that Defoe did it. And then I was like, okay, that's, that's, that's what's going to happen. And then he gaslights him another couple of times, and that's it. It's like, well, you can't beat the madness. And then I thought it might be the work. It might be, and, but it wasn't because then the work stopped. And then I thought it might be this, this bird. But then the bird bothers him a couple of times. At, like, how can you kill a bird? Sorry, massive spoiler. Mm, should I? <laughs> I don't know. How can, you, how can you, what happens with the bird? How can you do that after a couple of times you see the bird? Like, I felt like, he set up all these things that could have built the madness and he just didn't follow through. I was so disappointed. Wow. I, was just I feel like, like he does follow through. I feel like the, the climax of the movie is just massive, not, like screaming. It goes on and on and on. But it doesn't because at one it point does. they're fine and then it doesn't. And then and no, then, when it climaxes though, when he's chasing him with the axe and things and that, that take that lasts a while. That's at the end was, of the film. A while, it chases him with the axe, and then and then they fight, and then and then he goes, oh, but I'll beg you, and oh, it was just oh, I, it just felt like it was just so, it just it didn't feel like it created any sort sort of madness. I felt like it was just 
uh, oh, I know about Prometheus and I'm going to chuck that in. I know about the albatross and the, and that poem from that guy. I'm going to chuck that in. I'm going to, oh, I love H.P. Lovecraft. I'm going to put some tentacles in. Like nothing fell through. Like there were so many elements of everything, but nothing for me fell through. Like for me, there was no madness made. And, I, and that's the disappointment of it because I was so excited about maybe seeing another film that maybe... Because like The Shining is a horror film, but it's an incredible horror film. And, you know, I don't I don't watch horror films, but, you know, if it's good, I'm really. But this just by the end, I was just like, oh, why? Because also one point Willem Dafoe goes, ah, oh, this is this could be your mind. You, th This place doesn't exist. And I was like, yeah, that would have been a great idea for the film. But you didn't oh, follow through. I wouldn't have watched <laughs> that. That would have been a bad and, idea. But but it didn't even, for me, also the accents, like Willem Dafoe is a freaking pirate and Robert Pattinson is half English, half some weird southern accent. I was like, oh, please, Robert, just choose one accent. Choose one. Oh, I thought they did. I mean, I read that they uh, carefully researched those accents. I oh, yeah, they, were they carefully good. researched them. They didn't deliver them. Like, I thought oh, they did. Um, I think Eggers is trying to be stylistic. He's trying to be intelligent. He's trying to get the best actors. He's trying to, so, and and I feel it was just a mishmash of rubbish. Like, why did the mermaid have to have a vagina? What? Like the vagina? Like there was just like. I, I would I don't know. And also I felt it was such me it was so male. I don't know. I didn't I didn't I didn't enjoy it. I didn't enjoy it. I'm sorry. Yeah, wow. Well, it actually I'm... upset me. <laughs> <laughs> it really upset me. Yeah, you've got a very visceral response to it. Yeah, yeah, because I felt I felt it was trying to be like so intelligent. But the only thing important of the lie, we just know that Willem Dafoe wanks and spunks all over it. That's the only importance we have to the lie. Like, bloody hell. Can we not? <laughs> How silly is that? But that's because it's un... it's it's not... Just because it isn't made clear in the film why the light's important doesn't mean it... there wouldn't be a reason for it to be important. Do you need... Yeah, just... I feel like I don't need viewer, to be told that. No, but as a viewer, you can have, like, you know, you know the light could be incredible and something, and they don't have to tell you. But the only thing good about the light that we have is the fact that Willem Dafoe wanks to it every night. But there's clearly something in it that's that's got a, a power well, it over clear. him. It wasn't clear what it oh, was. Clear. I thought it was. I feel like a lot of that stuff that you don't like is, is because it's left... I don't know. To me, it's left open to interpretation. Like, there's a lot of unanswered questions in it, intentionally not not giving kind of answers to different things and letting scenarios kind of breathe and and not have a definite ending to them so that the kind of the viewer can kind of make their own mind up about what they view it to all mean that's my take on it that's why i like it i thought it was just a self-important stylized masculine energy pile of stuff uh, you should watch i mean i don't really agree with the masculine energy critique in terms of, I mean, I know it stars two men and everything, but like, I don't do we, see that as a negative. Why? What? Why? Tell. Explain to me the scene where you see Spunk coming down. I don't understand it. I'm not sure which scene that is. 
is when we, he goes up to the light and Willem Dafoe is having a wank and then the spunk comes down and you go, why? Well, you into I because that isn't that the scene where you see tentacles as well. Yeah. So I didn't I didn't even view that as being spunk as you say. I I viewed that as being some sort of otherworldly energy or or something. Like I interpreted it differently. Well, I... did you find it funny? Because part of why I like it is because I think it's really funny. It's like a comedy. Oh, there are some bits that are a comedy, yeah. When when Willem Dafoe, when he does his um, monologue where he doesn't blink about, yeah. because, you know, Pattinson wouldn't tell him that his... Yeah, it's like, may Neptune rise up and strike you down. And... Yeah, yeah. And that's the other thing. Like, they're supposed to be two people that are not very intellectual, but, you know, they're not, they know their, their stuff. It's like, um, I don't know. I just felt that it was so inaccurate. So I don't know. Are I just, not... just oh, like okay. it. Like you know, if you're if you're a seaman, you know there's so many things. They seem to be too eloquent for to be men that were not. That's interesting because Robert Eggers definitely does his research in terms of trying to find out how people from that era would have spoken and stuff like that. But it's fair enough. Yeah, but also, but also Robert Eggers let Willem Dafoe keep his hat on inside when he shouldn't leave the hat on inside, and that was definitely. Uh, so if you're that eloquent as a seaman, then you shouldn't have your hat inside in the first scene. But, you know, so that's the thing for me was just like a lot of like, oh, look what I know. Look what I can do. Look look at me. I don't know. It just, just felt like irritating, just irritating. Wow. I mean, you might be right about yeah. that, but I don't think that's a negative necessarily that he kind of, you know, tried to make an intelligent film or. Yeah, but you can make an intelligent film and you can, you can like, I wish he got more of the kind of like Greek side. You know, if, you, if you're going to like mention Poseidon and everything, like make it more like a, like more about that. Make the light important. Make the, him attracted to the light in, in an interesting way, not just in a spunky kind of way. That's fair enough. I guess I, I went into it expecting it to be a Lovecraftian type film. And what I liked was that it ends up being, it, like you like seems to be irritating to you, is that I liked that it kind of ha- doesn't have any one clear influence over it and that it sort of pulls in lots of different things without making any one of them the most important or the clearest sort of influence or symbolism. So it kind of leaves it up to the audience to kind of work out. What okay, well, what made on. them mad? What tell me something that made them mad? Like what? The light, the something in the light. The light made them mad. There's an energy in the light that draws them in, like it draws in ships. Okay, but they didn't interact very much with the light, did they? Well, Willem Dafoe did. Yeah, but then after and. Uh, that's that's the other thing. After the um, the first, because he's supposed to work all night, isn't he? Up in the light, that's his shift. That's what he yeah. said at the beginning. But yeah. then after the four weeks, they're there. Then they get drunk every night, and he seems not to be working anymore. But the light magically works. Well, again, like then that you know there could be a some of supernatural or otherworldly thing that, can, that keeps the light going. It's not run by human hands. And after the four weeks, <laughs> that's when their rubbish. shift is ended. It's just rubbish. 
So yeah, but the light off. has to go. Like, how on earth does the light go if the foe is down there? And if the but, light, because the light so clearly, the light is, is clearly so supernatural. Like the Patterson. ending of the film makes it clear the light is supernatural. Yeah, the light is supernatural, but why is Willem Dafoe giving so much time to Robert Pattinson instead of giving so much time to the light? Like, it just just by the end, the light for a while you don't even see it anymore because it's just them too. So the well, light. Well, maybe it's taken Willem Dafoe over and he's acting through him, and that's why it's that's not. That's the thing. It's just too. It. That's the thing. It makes no sense. It, it, this film. Well, that's makes why no I like sense. it. That's what's good about it. it doesn't need to make sense. But it does have to, like, you have to have, <laughs> you have to have a certain kind of sense. If not, I'll just say, you know, I'll just stay in a room and fart for an hour and that's my film. It doesn't have yeah, to but, make any sense. It's rubbish. Yeah, well, we, we can agree to disagree on The Lighthouse. <laughs> I think people, I hope people who are listening will still watch it because I think it's a yeah, great Yeah, please movie. watch it and tell me uh, what you think of it. And I think is I think is an interesting watch because I, I I don't know I just felt it was a self important film I don't know I'd be very interested now to know what you make of the witch. What do I have to watch it? <laughs> no, you don't have to, but I would be interested to know what you think of it because it's a very different film, but with a lot of him doing him 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 doing the same thing, but with a very different sort of set of themes and ideas. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So yeah, not strong film for me at all. Nope, fair enough. So um, <laughs> it was my job to watch uh, Moonstruck. Yes. The 1987 uh, film uh, written by John Patrick Shanley and directed by Norman Jewison, starring Cher and Nicolas Cage, along with a variety of other actors. It's a nominally about... Uh, few days in the life of Loretta Castorini, Cher's character, um, as she deals with marriage proposals and meeting the brother of her fiancé, uh, Ronnie Camareri, played by Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Um, that's kind of what it yeah. would be, I guess, described as being about, but it's it's really just about this family or set of families um, going through their lives for a couple of days. Yeah, I guess. Um, it is one of the best films I've ever seen. Ever. Yeah. Uh, so I happy. loved it. Completely loved it. Um, I was I was worried at first because it got to twenty. I think there's twenty five minutes of film time before you meet Nicolas Cage. Yeah. And as a Nicolas Cage fan, I was a bit like, why is when is there going to be any Nicolas Cage in my Nicolas Cage yeah. movie? But the whole that whole 25 minutes I was falling in love with Cher, which shocked me because I've never really seen a film with Cher in before and mm. she's amazing in this movie. Like she correctly won an, won an Oscar um uh, for best actress because she's she's incredible. Um she's so so good. She's so funny. I think that's the thing that surprised me is it's hilarious. It's a hilarious film. Yeah. And not like a romantic comedy funny, but just like a straight up comedy. Like everyone in it is really really funny all the time. And then when he does turn up, Nicolas Cage is it's one of those early Nicolas Cage performances where he is just completely going for it and is determined <laughs> to make sure that everyone pays attention to him. Yeah. 
Um, his first scene, he just starts screaming about having lost his hand in this accident. <laughs> and I never real, I didn't realise that he had a wooden hand in this movie. Yeah. But he does, he's got this wooden hand and she's he she's like, it's not your brother's fault you lost your hand. And he just smashes this big tub of flour or something and goes, I don't care! And starts screaming and screaming. And, and there's a bit later on, uh, a few minutes later in the movie, where he flips a table and it is the it is cinema's best ever table flip. You just see this bottle of whiskey go flying up in the air. It's so good. Um, and I had to pause the movie to make myself a big plate of spaghetti as well at the same exact point. Because <laughs> even though I'd already had dinner, Aww. Cher makes him this steak and starts eating a plate of spaghetti. And I was like, oh, that spaghetti looks so good. And I just made myself spaghetti and, and had it <laughs> with the rest of the movie. Um, Did you? That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is so cool. uh, Olympia Dukakis. A mess, oh. aren't they? His teeth. Oh, are Nicholas a mess. Cage's teeth. Yeah, yeah, they're crazy bad. <laughs> um, I couldn't get over the like the age difference between them is is kind of huge. What between who? Like Cher was, I think Cher was about forty-one when she made the film, and Nicholas Cage was about twenty-three. Are you crazy? No. No, she's she's 18 years no. older than him, I read. Yeah, what? I know. I didn't know that. And the act I thought he's they were the same age. No, and he's over 30 years younger than the actor that plays his brother. <laughs> what? Well, I, yeah. I knew it was much it was a bit younger, but I thought he was just much older than Cher. No, like the ages of like it's not a criticism, but the ages of the actors in this film is is crazy. Like Olympia Dukakis, who plays Cher's mum, is only fifteen years older than Cher. Um, but Cher recently Cher played. Look... Go on. But Cher is... looks so young. Like no, I know. Well, there's a bit in the film where Cher says she's thirty-seven, and I was like, yeah, I mean, you'd look younger than thirty-seven, really. But no, she was she was about four in her early forties. Um, I only started looking it up because I know that Cher now is quite old, and Nicolas Cage yeah. isn't. I mean, nowadays, Nicolas Cage is clearly younger than Cher, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely, yeah. So I was like, I, I wonder if the, and there is an age gap between them. Um, wow. Not that it matters. It's not a It's not a negative or anything. It's just... Um, no, it's just shocking because she looks amazing. She does look amazing. Um, yeah. No, it's a good film. And I really love uh, John Mahoney in it, um, who plays Frasier's dad in Frasier. He's, mm. he's in it playing a guy that you see a couple of times in a restaurant. Like, yeah. it felt very... Like you were talking about Ma Ramey's Black Bottom feeling very um, theatrical, and like this mm. isn't this isn't based on a play, I don't think. But the scenes in the restaurant felt very staged mm. in a theatrical way, and like his character felt like a character you would get in a play because he doesn't yeah. necessarily impact the main story, but he adds a lot of flavor to the film. Like he kind of there's a monologue he gives where he's talking about why he is like a professor and academic kind of asks um, young students out on dates, uh, which is an abuse of power and he shouldn't be doing it. But he, he, he talks about why he does it. And um, it's an amazing monologue from the, from this guy that I only previously knew as like a mm. sitcom actor. And he really yeah. like, you. In I read that he said that his career really took off after he made that movie. And you can see why, like he, you really remember him and his character after the film finishes, even though he ultimately has no bearing. And he's not in the final scene, which is this really amazing scene of them all sat around the breakfast table um, kind of <laughs> waiting amazing. for uh, Cher's fiance to turn up, and then he turns up, and they have this whole, and it's just brilliant. Um, yeah, like I love the food. The food is so important, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Foods. I mean, it's it, it it because of that and everything else in it. It feels like 
the best episode of The Sopranos to me, if you see what I mean. Like, yeah. everything I really enjoy about The Sopranos, because, mm. like, I'm not really into gangster movies and stuff, but I really like The Sopranos because of the scenes of them, like, at home and eating food mm. and just the daily lives of these of this, like, Italian-American family. And you yeah. get all of that in Moonstruck. Uh, and it's wonderful. It's such a good film. I would recommend anyone that hasn't watched it um, should definitely watch it. It's a weird, like it's. I always thought it was just a romantic comedy, but it's it's weirder than just a romantic comedy. Mm. Not that that's a bad thing to be a romantic comedy, but it's a very odd film. Like the way, like it is. It is odd to watch Nicolas Cage and Cher, who to me were like clearly very different ages and stuff. Yeah. Fall and like the speed at which they fall in love in the movie is just crazy. Um, Nicholas Cage is is so wild in that in this film. It's it's great. It's great. But Nicholas Cage is wild, but Cher is hilarious. Cher is about Cher's performance in this movie is about as funny as any film I've ever seen. She is a she is as funny as any comedian I've ever watched in this movie. She's so funny. Every every like action, every every facial expression she has, every movement of her hands is is funny. And I read that she thought she was um giving a bad performance when she was making the movie. What? Oh, and it's really? not until she, yeah, and obviously afterwards she won an, an Oscar and a Golden Globe, I think, and other things, and like obviously like got a lot of credit. Yeah. Um, and then after them, after this film, she sort of focused on her uh, musical career and hasn't really been in movies ever since, which is no sad because she's she's great, like she is incredible in this film. So yeah, yeah. big big win for Moonstruck. Loved it. Who's your favorite uh, character in it? Who's my favorite character in it? Yeah. Share. Like mine is the grandpa. I love the I'll, grandpa. Yeah, I could imagine why you'd like the grandpa. <laughs> He's very funny. Um, yeah. I really, I mean, I really like her mum, her mother. Yeah. Like, I, 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 in terms of if you're looking outside of the main two, like in terms of yeah. side characters, it would have to be um, Cher's mother, Olympia Dukakis's mm. character. I think she's brilliant in it. Um, she's very funny as well. Like the scene where she's talking to John Mahoney in the restaurant and is like, yeah, you know. You're too old for them. What are you doing? Like, it's she's great. She's great. Yeah. So I'd I'd go yeah. with her. Yeah, I'll always I'll always remember with like I don't know when they walk home from the restaurant. Those yeah. two when they go back home. I just I just always remember that scene. I just love it because you know it's just so lovely and simple and yeah. I love yeah, it. and again, I'm like glad. a more traditional romantic comedy that's only focused on the on the you know the couple at the center of it wouldn't have had that scene like. There's so many mm. scenes in this film that you wouldn't put in a more traditional film, but that that add yeah. that add so much to it. And because yeah, because definitely like, by the time Cher and Nicolas Cage actually meet, there's only about an hour of the film left. And I was like, how is it? it's it's yeah, it's crazy, but it's great, and I I loved it. I would recommend it. Um, yeah, okay, so yeah, that's homework. That's Moonstruck. Please watch it. Should we get into our top five for this week? Five. I realized. Yeah. Because when we decided on this category, yeah. I was excited. Yeah. And I realized I'm not really a big musical fan. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Like I've, I've, I, I, I'm, I, feel, I find musicals extremely weird. Um, and I've had, I had for years. I think I enjoy them more now, but for a long time, I just thought they were bizarre concepts musicals. So I then realized I haven't watched that many. I mean, they are a bizarre concepts, and you sort of have, just have to go with it. The idea that people are just going to break into song, yeah, 
Yeah, um, and but for the longest time, I didn't watch many. So yeah. you know, um, and it's interesting. It's interesting that like there's definitely if you look at I can't remember where I saw it now, but there was a graph of like different genres of film and how much money they make in Hollywood over the years. And yeah. you definitely see like action movies and stuff is really big now. But like yeah. what dominated and ruled the box office in like the early part of the last century was was westerns and musicals. Like musicals mm. were the big thing. They won the awards. They made all the money. And nowadays it's kind of like every couple of years a big musical will come along. But they're definitely not kind of the juggernaut of cinema that they used to be. But also, I think I think musicals. If you like them, you go and see them on yeah. in the West End in yeah, London. definitely. I, so if I you yeah, like sorry. them, you go and see them. Like I'm not. I think I've been to see like for example, my sister goes to see musicals. I don't. I've been to see one musical, which I enjoyed uh, in London. But yeah, I, I definitely I come from I, the perspective of a film fan of cinema when I, when I think yeah. about musicals because I don't go and see yeah. them live so often. No, no, no. But um, yeah. So I I I was. Yeah, my, maybe my my decisions today are quite. You've probably seen them all, so souls. Maybe it's you haven't. Right. I don't know. I know. I I mean, I'm a bit similar with. I I don't know. I like the musicals. I like, but I don't tend to search out musicals or get excited about musicals too much. So. No, no, not at all. Yeah. So that I thought. I thought this this week was hard because it was weird. Because yeah, we'll see when now. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Okay. So, um, musicals, my number five, my number five is a musical that everybody has seen or everybody has heard at least the songs and, uh, it's amazing and I still really like it. And recently there's been a TikTok trend with one of the songs and I, you would know, I would not. Yeah, you would not. But um, yeah. Uh, and so I was just like, yeah, I love that musical. So uh, my number five is a musical called Grease. Okay. It's a good Have film. Have you seen it? Have you seen? I've, yeah. I've seen the film. Yeah, film. I've seen Grease. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mine are mainly are only films, musicals. Cool. Yes. That's fine. Um, it stars John Travolta, Olivia Newton-John, uh, Stockard Channing, uh, Jeff Conaway, and other people that are not, uh, yeah, people. Uh, mainly, <laughs> mainly people. Uh, John Travolta, Olivia Newton-John. And um, it's, about, it's a musical about teens in love, which is weird because they, they're not really teenagers. They look like... No, <laughs> they're not teenagers <laughs> at all. Yeah. Uh, and it's uh, in California, 1958. And uh, Danny Zuko, played by John Travolta, and Sandy Olsen, uh, played by Olivia Newton-John, are in love. Uh, they have a summer of love. And then, um, you know, they're all lovely and romantic. But then they have to separate because she has to go back to Australia. And he stays in America where he lives. Uh, and he uh, go back to school. Uh, but then he doesn't realize that she stayed in America. Aha. And mm. he goes back to school and he goes back to be his... Um, uh, the leader of the gang called the T-Birds who wear these um, leather jackets and they're all cool and they're like... Oh, it's silly. Heartbreakers. And then and they go out with the, like, the pink ladies who are <laughs> cool and they wear pink jackets. <laughs> and then, you know, um, they don't know they're in the same school and she talks about to her new friends, the pink ladies, about this summer of love with this romantic guy. And um, then, uh, but he 
talks about so she says all the romantic stuff they did and then at the same time he tells the t-birds all the sexual stuff they did hello 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 who uh, yeah, I, I remember that <laughs> and then they meet again but they can't be together because she's a good girl and he's a bad guy but then they twist things around and then she becomes a bad guy and he becomes a good girl and then they have the beautiful last scene at the fair you're the one at the one honey yeah <laughs> so yeah that's the that's Greece I like it uh it's fun uh it's uh, timeless I think uh I watched it uh when I was a kid I watched it many times uh you'll never grow old really because it's a timeless musical hmm. and yeah that's why it's my number five um it, it it was the last one to put in just because I found this I found this week really difficult to choose um but yeah and i think my favorite song is hopelessly devoted to you she sings outside and she's heartbroken she's outside of uh, i think it's rizzo's house and she just like sings this song and she's heartbroken but now there's no <laughs> but yeah and that's the thing like when you watch it i want to sing with it i think it's it's a good musical Hmm. Yeah, and that's just a song that made me want to put it in because it's a TikTok trend. And uh... oh, is that the TikTok trend song? Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. I think and I've Greased... been singing it for like a few weeks. Grease Lightning is my favorite song. I think. Oh well, no. Oh yeah, Grease Lightning. Go Grease Lightning. And that's Grease all I have to say about Grease. No, it's a good choice. It's a classic, but it's a classic for a reason. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. What's your number five? My number five is from 1992. Mm -hmm. It is the directorial debut of Brian Henson. Mm -hmm. And it is The Muppet Christmas Carol. Oh, nice. Yeah, I watch it every Christmas. So I've watched it recently. And uh, when I watched it, I was like, do you know what? This is one of my top five favorite musicals. I (laughs) adore it. Have you seen it? No. You haven't seen The Muppet Christmas Carol? Do you I've not like I've never watched anything with the Muppets. No, what? I don't think they're, they're not really a thing here. Wow, I'm shocked. I'm stunned. Yeah. I'm upset. Uh it's one of my favorite Christmas movies and one of my favorite musicals. It's got fantastic songs in it. Um it's a great te- it's just it's also a very um Oh, what what's the word I'm looking for? Not honest, but it's a very um, faithful. It's a very faithful adaptation of the story of a Christmas Carol. Like even though it has Muppets in it, it tells the story properly. Uh, mm. It has it does the great kind of very smart decision of casting Gonzo as Charles Dickens. So a lot of his lines okay. in the film are lines straight from the book. Like the opening line of uh, the Marleys were dead to begin with is pretty much the opening line of the mm. novella as well, um, and. It works because the lead performance from Michael Caine as Scrooge is absolutely brilliant. I mean, he's a he's a great actor and he puts in a brilliant performance in this and he talks to all the Muppets as if he's talking to real people. And I think that's what makes mm. the film work is that he doesn't act like he's in a Muppet film. He acts like he's in a very mm. serious adaptation of A Christmas Carol and it's brilliant and it works really well. Um it's funny when it needs to be funny. It's scary when it needs to be scary. The ghost of Christmas future is terrifying in it. 
Um, and it's terrifying again because Michael Caine, you believe Scrooge's fear as he learns, you know, what is what is his life is kind of destined to become and things. And it's just great. It's just brilliant. My favourite song in it is the song that the Ghost of Christmas Present sings, uh, which is called "It Feels Like Christmas." It's in the yeah. It's such it's such a wonderful, heartwarming song. I love it. I love the Muppet Christmas Carol. It's a fantastic musical, a fantastic Christmas film, and uh, just a good a good film all around. And I would recommend it. Nice. Okay, what's your number four? My number four is uh, another film uh, from 2001, directed by the great Baz Luhrmann, and oh. it's called Moulin Rouge. Moulin Rouge! Exclamation mark. Yes. Exclamation mark. Yeah, Moulin Rouge! Exclamation mark. And it stars Nicole Kidman as Satine and Ivo McGregor as Christian, John Leguizamo as Toulouse-Lautrec, etc., etc. Yes, mm. uh, and it's set in Paris in in, in 1899, and uh, Christian, played by Ewan McGregor, is a English writer, and he's come to Paris to follow the Bohemian Revolution, um, uh, taking hold of the city's drug and prostitute-infested underworld. What beautiful words, isn't it? And he finds himself in a Moulin Rouge, and uh, he sees this. Um, a beautiful woman uh, called uh, Satine and she's the star in uh, the Moulin Rouge and uh, he they fall in love kind of like um, they meet for the first time and she thinks he's a different person and they have a romantic night and then she realizes that she is not the person that she thought he was but then she falls in love but they can't be together because she cannot only have one man and um, it ends in a tragic way. Hmm. Beautiful. Uh, I love this film. Uh, I love Moulin Rouge. Uh, and I, I, I remember watching it and when during the time that I was like, I don't like musicals. And <laughs> then watching Moulin <laughs> and then watching Moulin Rouge and having so many songs that I liked reinterpreted in this film. And yeah. uh, having the Baz Luhrmann touch and the colours. And I, I read that he was inspired by one night watching a Bollywood film in India. And, you know, how entertaining it is and how everybody sings. In fact, there's a beautiful scene in the film where uh, there's this amazing song, which I can't remember the name. But it's beautiful, energetic uh, Bollywood song. And it's just amazing. And it's just it just beautiful to watch uh lovely to listen to uh love Ewan McGregor and Nicole Kidman I think his film is top notch good musical I think I haven't seen it you haven't seen Moulin Rouge nope oh well that's good in a way because <laughs> Uh, but yeah, and uh, it's uh, well, I really enjoyed it, and it's entertaining and tragic because Baz Luhrmann likes a little bit of tragedy, doesn't he? Shall oh, I tell Baz? you what I know about Moulin Rouge? Tell, tell us. Voulez-vous no. coucher avec moi ce soir? <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Christina Aguilera, M- Mia. I think it was Mia and another couple of singers with a car and Pink. 
somebody else like did the song again, the Lady Marmalade song. That's it. Yeah, I mean, it came out. When did it, did it come out in two thousand one? Yeah, yeah, because it's kind of right. like the the track for the film, but it's I don't I can't remember if it's actually in the film. I like yeah. when I it was that was in the middle of when I was in high school, and my high school used to play MTV at lunchtime, and okay. that's oh, that. that that movie was talked about a lot in school for a yeah. while and then that song was definitely on MTV a lot and stuff and that was kind I of the it. only impact it had on my life really <laughs> was uh, yeah <laughs> yeah but uh yeah it's a good film it's a good Buzz Luhrmann film uh and yeah this my favorite song is El Tango de Roxanne which is um Roxanne by the police yeah. Uh, but uh, sung by a Spanish man well, with a Spanish accent. I'm not sure if it's a Spanish man. While these people like dance to tango. Oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> it just gives you shivers. It's like, Roxanne. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. Lovely yeah. stuff. And that's my favorite song. And probably one of my favorite scenes. I think my favorite scene is when they do like the, the Indian song. But it's a good, good musical. What's your number four, G? My number four is a film from 2012, directed by Jason Moore. Mm -hmm. It is the film Pitch Perfect. Is that a musical? Definitely a musical. No, no. (laughs) No. No. Why? Record again. (laughs) <laughs> We're doing the list again. No. No. I no. don't accept that. <laughs> Why? What do you mean? Four. No. It's like your Anna Kendrick moment. No. <laughs> well, no. that's it. Anna Kendrick didn't make it into my top 10 actors, so I'm making up to her by including her in my I don't accept this. I don't accept this. <laughs> it's a musical. It a mu- don't let me read the first line of the Wikipedia entry Pitch Perfect is a 2012 American musical comedy film. Thank you very much. I've got it as well. What do you mean? <laughs> what are you talking about? Can I about? cheat? Can I cheat? <laughs> no, you're listening. Can I your say list. I've got it as well? No, because we can talk about it now. I'm so sad. <laughs> <laughs> I love that film. Yeah, it's a, it's an incredible film. I remember watching it for the first time and falling in love with it completely, and falling in love a little bit with or a lot with Anna Kendrick. Um. It's about a acapella group at university who compete in acapella championship. It doesn't matter what it's about. It's 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 funny. <laughs> Anna Kendrick and the rest of the cast are hilarious, and the songs are really good. And it made it it made like that and no, I don't know. Like it made acapella this big thing again, I guess. Which I don't really care mm. too much about. But um, the music's really good in it. The bit uh where Anna Kendrick does that cups thing when in her audition, oh, it's so cool. Um, but my favourite song is the, the the Bella's final song at the uh, finals at the end. It's like a mashup of Price Tag and Don't You Forget About Me and a few other uh, different tracks. And uh, it's just an incredibly choreographed thing. Yeah, what do you think about Pitch Perfect? <laughs> I love Pitch Perfect. Yeah. I love all of, I love all three Pitch Perfect. Like the oh, first that's one is the best one. The second one is good. And the third one is good too. They're all good. Yeah, I mean, I enjoy spending time with those characters. Yeah, I think, but I think the third one is probably the. I would think they the quality goes in line with the numbering, like one, two, three in that order. I think. Yeah, I I can watch yeah. all of them, but number one is is special. 
has a special place in my heart. Yeah. Yeah, well, like, yeah, I, I wish it was on my list. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I just I just didn't think about it as a musical. I don't know why. I, I can't remember why. I think I came across it in a list. Of, I was, like, looking up lists of musicals to kind of come up with ideas. Yeah, and me I think too. I came across it. And I was like, me oh, too. God, yeah, and that's I definitely think... a musical. Yeah, and I, I watch a lot of lists of musicals because, like, I don't know if I know in, enough musicals. And then I didn't see that because I would have put that 100%. Never mind. Like it's it's your top honorary mention. Definitely, a hundred percent. It's such a good film. Uh, so well done. Yeah, good, good choice. Thank you, like thank you so much. Cool. Um, what's your number three? My number three is my uh animation entry. Uh, because I didn't. If <laughs> basically my first list was just all Disney. <laughs> Like I can't travel Disney. <laughs> Choose one Disney. Yeah. Uh, and um although I could have put Moana, I already spoken about Moana, so I put another one. Okay. Yeah, because I love Moana. And uh We all yeah. do. Uh yeah, we all do. And my number three is The Lion King. Oh, how good. What a good choice. What a good film, isn't it? Yeah. It's the best. Uh yeah, it's a story about well, it stars uh, Matthew Broderick, Jeremy Irons, James L. Jones, Whoopi Goldberg, Rowan Atkinson, and Sazu. Yeah. See, that's I the thing. When I watched the first time, I didn't have any of these voices because I watched it in Italian. Oh, really? And until a few years ago, I didn't even know the, no- the songs in English. I only knew the songs in Italian. Wow. Yes. But, um, yeah. Uh, and, yeah, we know The Lion King. I don't have to talk about The Lion King. No, it's an adaptation yeah. of Hamlet. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone knows yeah. that story, right? It's just yeah. Hamlet. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So I love it. And that's this is one of the musicals I would like to see on stage. Because apparently The Lion yeah. King on stage is incredible. And I would love to see that. I think... That's something that I would really enjoy watching. Uh, but I love it, and I think the best song is Akuna Matata. Akuna um, Matata, what a wonderful wonder. phrase. Yeah. I've, <laughs> Akuna Matata, uh, ain't no passing craze. Um, but um, my love, again, for this came a few years ago, back a few years ago, when my kids had to do uh, the play. And uh, I had to teach them a few songs in English. Oh, so cool. I just love seeing my kids doing The Lion King and my fifth graders. So it was like, oh, lovely. And uh, that's when I think that was like four years ago when I learned the songs in English and they're much better in English than in Italian. Oh, really? It does have so many good. I mean, The Circle of Life is a great song. And then um, Can You Feel the Love Tonight? I mean, that's just. Ah, Elton John. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you get him involved, you're going to get some good tunes. And then there's yeah. a bit where Rowan Atkinson is singing, uh, I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts, diddly dee, here they are, <laughs> sitting in a row. Doo, doo. That's a pretty good song. Yeah. Big it's one, small one, some as round as your head. And by the way, I mean The Lion King, not the current one, but the 1994 not, one. Not the John Favreau one from a couple of years ago. No, no. I haven't watched that one. Oh, haven't you haven't watched it? No. Ah, oh, let me tell you about it. <laughs> Is it good? <laughs> yeah, I've heard <laughs> that Dan actually, I think he said that the Lion King was one of his favorite Disney's. 
Yeah. And then he watched The Lion King and he was so upset about it. Yeah, it's a pretty, pretty bad film. Yeah. yeah. Which is a pity because Beyonce was involved and, and, you know, Donald Glover was involved in it as well, Childish Gambino. Uh, they're making a second one for some reason. Yeah. Why? I don't know. John Favreau's coming back and everything. Like, it's a whole big thing. Lord only knows why. Can't explain it. I guess it was a successful film. I guess. I guess it was successful. Ugh, just stop. Right. Cool. The By the Lion way, King. I forgot oh, yeah. to ask you before. Are we still oh. friends? Yeah, why would After we not I be said friends? that about the lighthouse. No, no, it's all right. I mean, you're, you're wrong about it, but it's fine. <laughs> you were wrong about her smell as well. We can carry on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um... And you were yeah. wrong about Hilda. Oh, Hilda's awful. They made there's new episodes of that out. Have you watched it? Yeah. Is no, it good? Yeah. Right. I know. Yeah. I'm, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm so excited. I was like, new episodes. Yes. Sorry. Uh, I don't understand. Um. Cool. So that's <laughs> your, that was your number three, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So my number three is the 2017 <gasps> film. Directed by John McPhail, uh, but this film certainly isn't a fail. <laughs> um, it is the Christmas zombie musical high school comedy, Anna and the Apocalypse. Ah. Yeah, which I have mentioned a handful of times on the podcast before, but I yes. really do love this movie. It's certainly not one of the um, more well-known musicals. <laughs> I think it's fairly <laughs> no. obscure. But I really, really like it. It's got a lot of for what it lacks in Elton John and other, you know, big Broadway names and stuff to kind of yeah. make the tunes, you know, amazing or whatever. It for what it lacks in that, it makes up for in just an overabundance of heart and effort and everyone involved is trying incredibly hard to make a film that probably, you know, a lot of people say shouldn't, you know, like a Christmas zombie high school musical comedy set in Scotland is not something that you're gonna see every day. And it's I just my it just took my heart. I love this movie so so much. Um, the cast are really good. I think the main actress in it who plays Anna is called Ella Hunt, and I've not seen her in enough other things, but she is amazing in it. She's so good in it. Uh, Paul Kay, who's an actor that I really like, people will know him from uh, things like Game of Thrones and other things. He's mm. he's in it as the head teacher of the school, uh, essentially playing the villain of the piece, and he's really really good in it. He's got this great song, and the rest of the kind of cast of teenagers again, mostly unknown people that that you know still are unknown, but they're good. They're really really good, and um. Yeah, it's worth a watch. And my favourite song in it is uh, Hollywood Ending, which is definitely the kind of the set piece musical number in the film. It comes quite early on. Mm. And uh, it's all about how there's no such thing as a Hollywood ending. And uh, it features all these Scottish teenagers dancing in a high school cafeteria. It's just great. It's just a great film. Sounds if you haven't amazing. seen it, please watch it. It's the best. What do you think, Alex? Yeah. Oh, I haven't watched it, so I think I But should. you like you like um zombie films, you like musicals a bit. You should you <laughs> yeah. should watch it. You like Scotland. Ooh. Yeah, maybe it's gonna be my, you know, my homework. Oh uh, yeah, maybe you'll come back and be like, I thought that uh, none of the themes made any sense and uh, it was too <laughs> far too much focus. Uh, why where did the zombies come from? It wasn't clear. That might be what happened. 
<laughs> why include all these elements? I mean, you've got musicals, you've got high school, you've got zombies. It's too much at once. Yeah, but I, I just, I maybe didn't get on. Oh, shut up! I already, I already, <laughs> already said my opinion about that film. Okay. No, cool. Never it's, a, it's a great. It's just, it's the best. I really like anime. You know, I like a good film. No, you I know. know I'm, I'm all for a good film. <laughs> and I, you know, when I like a film like Midsummer, I raved about it, and I thought that was intelligent and great and creative. When I see a pile of poo. <laughs> I will say I saw a pile of poo. <laughs> uh, clearly. Um, but Anu in the Apocalypse is not a pile of poo. It's a wonderful thing. Um, it is. It's, yeah, it's great. It's it's great. It's, a, you know, it's about um, Anna is this teenager and she's it's coming up to Christmas. They wake up one morning and a zombie apocalypse has happened and they want to, her and her friends have to try and get to the high school to save their families who were trapped in there after the Christmas show the previous night. Um, it's great. It's really good. There you go. Sounds good. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah is it yeah, funny? Yeah. Is it like uh, it's scary very. Or it's funny? yeah, no, it's very funny. It's not really scary at all. I mean, they don't have the budget to do it to be scary. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Um, but it's pretty funny. There's some good jokes, some good goofs through zombies and things like that, and uh, the songs are really nice. Yeah, would mm. would recommend. Would recommend. I've watched cool. it. I've watched it a lot. I've watched it about four oh, yeah. or five times. But yeah, it's good. <laughs> all right. Um, what's your number? Two. Oh, my number two is a musical from 1976 Ooh. starring a young Jodie Foster and a young Scott Bayo. Ooh. Ooh. And the film is called Bugsy Malone. Oh, okay. Yeah. Have you, do you, have you seen Bugsy Malone? No. Oh, uh, so it's, uh, it's, uh, what well, it was made in, it's, a gangster musical comedy uh, written and directed by Alan Parker, who also has made some other good um, musicals. Uh, mm. Fame. Mm-hmm. Have you seen it? No. Uh, uh, Pink Floyd, The Wall. All right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The Commitments. I've heard of that. But I haven't seen it. That's such a good film. And I'm really annoyed because I'm on the Wikipedia page now. And I love that film. And I didn't put it in. <laughs> is it an Irish film? The Commitment? Yes. And yeah, it's yeah, so yeah, yeah. good. Like it's so good. Oh, yes. Uh, and Evita, which is another musical I love. But I didn't put it in because it was not very historically accurate. So, you know. Wow. Uh, okay. Never enough. mind. <laughs> Never mind. I don't think and I've seen it's... any of those films, so carry on. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I don't I... think I've seen a single one. I've seen them all, and they're really good, all of them. No, no I'm sure they are. It's not. I'm not passing judgment. No, no, no. I just mean that, like, I don't know. Like, I've seen a lot of music. I just got confused this year, maybe with them this time. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, so it's about um, is a set in the prohibition area area. <laughs> the the specific area that they get assigned for no alcohol here at the zoo. Thank you very much. Uh, so is set in the prohibition prohibition era, uh-huh. and um, well, basically, it's a gangster movie where the gangsters are played by children. So uh-huh. everybody's a child, yeah. and instead of real bullets, when they shoot each other, uh, they use like uh, splurge guns, which. Uh, to cover people with cream and if they want to like 
at all like they throw each other cakes yeah and uh and the the story is uh, about Bugsy Malone and um the battle of power in the city between uh, the two gang leaders which one is uh, Fat Sam and the other one is Dandy Dan and that's pretty much it and it's just uh it's, it's a gangster movie played by children yeah it's amazing mm-hmm. <laughs> and the music is really good in it and i uh really really love it and it's just original just like the fact that um uh, they they shoot each other with cream and cakes and jodie foster's in it before she was you know famous i think she did this after she did taxi driver i don't know she did it was like yeah so i think she did taxi driver and this one close together but um let me Ah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, she did Taxi Driver before um, Bugsy Malone. And okay. then uh, the same year she did Bugsy Malone. So it's uh, and if you watch Taxi Driver, well, she's in Taxi Driver uh, and then Bugsy Malone is kind of like mind blowing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But no, it's, a, it's a really, really good film, in my opinion. And my favorite song is called uh, Tomorrow, which is a song sang by... Um, uh, this kid uh, while he cleans the room because he wants to be he wants to be an actor in in the club we wants to be the singer in the club and um uh fat sam tells him tomorrow tomorrow i'll hear you tomorrow and then he just sings this song and it's beautiful but yeah fun films good film cool i've got a big i've got a big spoonful of cynicism for booksy malone why i just think it sounds awful (laughs) Well, maybe. <laughs> I don't know what to say. I just have. I I can't. I know I haven't seen it. I shouldn't judge it without having seen it. But I've never watched it because I. What are the What are the crime bosses called in it? Uh, Fat Sam and Dandy Dan. Oh, Dan. What is Dandy Dan? What is that? But they're children. Oh, like, just, oh I my goodness. Oh, I don't have the energy okay. for it. Sorry, I'm sorry. I don't want to. I don't want to. But just when it comes to what was the what was your number four choice? Moulin Rouge. Just, uh, I'd rather watch Moulin Rouge. No, no, I'm sorry. No, no, <laughs> no, no way. No way, I'm going to be so mean this week. Oh, no. <laughs> oh God. Right, um, so that's your number two. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Right. I really hope I haven't seen you number one. <laughs> Um, Why? I'm I'm choosing what you're going to watch. I know. I just well, that's, okay. So my number two, yeah. uh, my number two is the 2020 film, the 2020 Disney musical, filming of the musical Hamilton. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Did I confuse yeah. you then? I I confused yeah. myself on how to describe it. It's the yeah. it, it it was on it came on Disney Plus this year. That's when I watched it. Okay. Yeah. And it is the yeah. film of the 2015 Broadway musical Hamilton, and it was filmed okay. in 2016, featuring the original Broadway cast. Uh, For some reason, my weird brain thought the making of Hamilton. No. 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 Like no. That I'm more than Hamilton. <laughs> um. We've we've talked at length already on this podcast about Hamilton, so I won't go over it too much again. It is the story of one of the founding fathers of America, Alexander Hamilton, and his sort of um, rise and fall 
uh, mainly through his interactions with people like George Washington and Aaron Burr and Thomas Jefferson. Um, my favourite song, I was kind of tough one picking a favourite song from Hamilton, but I went for partly because of the Song Exploder episode. Have you watched any of Song Exploder on Netflix, Alex? It's a no. really good, it's a, it's, so it's based on, a, there's a podcast of it as well, but it's this guy who interviews musicians about how they write specific songs, like quite famous songs. Mm. Um, and they've done a Netflix series of it where he kind of, each episode he talks to a different artist about a song that they wrote. So there's an episode where he talks to Trent Reznor about uh, Hurt, the Nine Inch Nails song. There's, no, there's an episode of The Killers talking about When You Were Young. There's an episode of Dua Lipa talking about a song off a new album. And there was an mm. episode talking to Lin-Manuel Miranda about how he wrote how about how he wrote Wait For It, the uh, kind of pivotal Aaron Burr song in Hamilton. And okay. uh, two things that I learned from the episode is that, one, Wait For It is a really good song, and I think I've decided it's my favourite song from the film mm-hmm. uh, or from the musical. Um, it's just a great... Uh, it's it's not hip-hop in the way that the rest of the musical is. It's more sort of sung through um, mm. more traditional singing uh, and... I feel a bit guilty not choosing a hip hop song or I don't know, but it's, it's a good wait for it is a really amazing song. The way it builds and the way that he kind of gets across his, the way he sees the world in opposition to how Hamilton sees the world is really, really well done. I love it. And uh, the second Mm. thing I learned from watching that song Exploder episode is that Lin-Manuel Miranda really enjoys Lin-Manuel Miranda. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He, he, He's a very talented man. Yeah. And he knows how talented he is. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think I think that's maybe my problem. I don't know. Yeah. You kind of have to get over it sometimes with like creative people like that. Cuz like he did he made Marana which you love the music in that and stuff. Like he Well, that's the have... thing. I love I love him when he's not him, like yeah, when yeah, he's yeah, not yeah, present. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can see that. I I could I can definitely see that, which is possibly why I've chosen a song that's not one of his he doesn't sing mm. wait for it um like as much yeah. as i like my shot and alexander hamilton and other tracks like so there's something about like leslie odom jr's performance um in that in that film is brilliant and that that song is really pivotal the other great song he does is um uh in the room where it happened i think it's called um mm. and it's yeah he's it's great he's his performance is brilliant and i love that i love it i love i love hamilton obviously we've talked about it a lot so let's not go on too much but um that episode of Song Exploder is good. I'd recommend people watch that, and um, I'd recommend you look up Song Exploder, Alex, and watch any episodes about. There's a good one. Uh, there's an REM one. Uh, they talk about losing my religion. It's a cool. It's a cool show. Mm. You should check it out. Anyway, what's your cool. number one? My number one is a classic. I love it. It's all always is. I think it was the first one I put on my uh, list. And it's a nineteen sixty four Mary Poppins. Oh, Mary, Mary Poppins. Oh, Mary Poppins. Good choice, Governor. Uh, yeah. Wee. Yeah. Uh, Judy Andrews plays Mary Poppins. She does. Um, Dick Van Dyke plays uh, the chimney sweep. He does. Um, and uh, David Thomason, which I love. Uh, yeah, and uh, it's uh, you know it's about a nanny that goes and helps uh, this family uh, and brings um, joy and a little bit of magic into their lives in uh, uh, dusty uh, London. 
beautiful. And I just love Mary Poppins. And uh, they have amazing uh, adventures and a part, like something of the story, like Bedknobs and Broomsticks. I love when they go into the cartoon a bit of it. I always find that really magical, even now in 2020, when you could do anything with films, just the simplicity of them being in a cartoon, just like, I don't know. It just yeah, it's it's my cool. Heart. It's really awesome. Yeah, when they jump into that, when they jump into that chalk oh, painting, so good. And today yeah. I was watching also some bed knobs and broomsticks, and when they're at the bottom of the sea and they sing on the bed, and it's just mm. beautiful. It's just something that you know it's been done, and it's just my childhood. And I I love Mary Poppins, and yeah. um, like I watched Mary Poppins Returns, and I only liked Mary Poppins Returns because I liked Mary Poppins so much. Right, yeah, yeah. And, that's, and you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, so I haven't watched Mary Poppins like, Returns yet, but I could see that being being the case. Yeah, and the fact that I, I really, I enjoyed that because it just brought memories of the old one and it made me want to watch the old one again, like the first one, the original, the only Mary Poppins. And although Mary Poppins Return is good, it'll never be Mary Poppins. And, yeah, you know, yeah, Emily Blunt is, is amazing. Fair. Yeah, and I think my favourite song, I've got two. I think it's Chim Chim Chiri. Yeah. And Let's Go and Fly a Kite. Oh. Let's that's a beautiful track. Fly a kite up. Yeah. And uh, I can't say Chim Chim Chiri very well because, like other films, I watched this mainly in Italian, and Italians uh, say, Come coming in, come coming in. Chim Chimini, Chim Chimini, Chim Chim Yeah. <laughs> Um, when I was in primary school, my primary school end of year show one year was Mary Poppins. They did an adaptation oh. of Mary Poppins. And I desperately, more than anything in my short life, had ever wanted, I desperately wanted to be a penguin. And I auditioned to be a penguin and they wouldn't let me be a penguin. And it was devastating. I had to be a chimney sweep instead, which in a, in which is probably a better... It's but a I just, role. It's, I just wanted to be. I wasn't like the Dick Van Dyne. I was just like one of the one of the chimney sweeps, if you see what I mean, in the in the in the scene. Um, but I wanted to be a penguin so badly. And That's I, really tragic. It That's still really... upsets me. I did my little penguin walk across the stage as an audition, and I didn't get picked. I was gutted. Why? Why would teachers just let the children do what they want to do? Like, yeah, you know, a, yeah, you I can't agree. be a penguin. I want to be a penguin. Well, I you can be a penguin. If you were my kid, I would let you be the penguin. Thank you. That's all I want. You're welcome. <laughs> um, cool. Yeah, no, I'm that's a, an amazing I'm... choice. It's a good It's a yeah. good musical. It's a good film. I adore it. I love Julie Andrews. She's the best. Mm. But no Sound of yeah. Music. You went for Mary Poppins instead. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sound of Music. You, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm enough. amazed that your number one is not Hamilton. So that number, your number one, would be a big surprise. Mm, it just Ooh. might be. Uh, are you ready? Yeah. Okay, good. So ah ah, what's ha- something is happening? The timelines are splitting. Dimensions are opening up. <laughs> what is? I don't. Ah, uh, something's changing. What's going on? Oh no. So. Finally, at the end of my rewatch, I'm ready to share my top 10 Buffy episodes with you, and I'm pretty excited about it. So, in at number 10 is what? Chosen, the 
finale of season seven, the series ending episode. I watched it this afternoon as I finally finished my Buffy rewatch. Pretty exciting stuff. It's a series ender, but it's pretty good. I like it a lot. Um, It's got some beautiful moments. There's a bit where Buffy tells Spike that she loves him and he says, no, you don't. And it's just, oh, oh, it made me cry. Uh, In at number nine is The Prom in season three. Where, Gee, I'm um, going with you because I don't know what's happening. Like, I'm prom, so confused. The, in at number nine is The Prom <laughs> in season three, uh, where Buffy is determined to allow her friends to have a normal prom and fights off several hellhounds to allow it to happen. And then Jonathan gives her the class protector award and they acknowledge how many lives she's saved uh, while they've been in high school. And it's beautiful and it makes me cry. And it's a little umbrella. Oh, I love it. Uh, number eight is just a good kind of solid Monster of the Week type episode, Tabula Rasa, in season six, where um, due to a spell that Willow has done, they all lose their memories and don't know who they are. And Spike thinks that he's Giles' son because they're both English and all the characters kind of rearrange. And it's and Giles and Anya think that they're married. It's a very funny episode. It's really good, worth watching. Uh, in at number seven is another kind of just really funny, good classic episode in season four, Something Blue, which mm-hmm. is the one where Willow makes a spell... Uh, where anything that she says happens. So she says that Buffy and Spike should just marry each other. So suddenly Spike proposes to Buffy and she says yes. And she says she tells Giles that he never sees anything. So Giles goes blind. She tells Xander that he's a demon magnet. So he starts getting attacked by demons out of nowhere. It's a pretty good, funny episode, especially watching um, Sarah Michelle Gellar and James Masters pretend to be madly in love as Spike and Buffy. Pretty funny stuff. In at number six is another deeply emotional episode the gift the final episode of season five where buffy um makes a huge sacrifice in order to save uh, her sister dawn and the rest of the world and there's a bit where she says the hardest thing in this world is to live in it and it makes me cry again because it's just so beautiful um and at number five is restless the season four finale which season four is an odd season because adam is defeated, the big bad of season four is defeated in the penultimate episode. And then the fin- the finale is just the um, Scooby gang going to sleep and their dreams are invaded by a, the spirit of the first Slayer. And it's Joss Whedon sort of getting his full David Lynch on and going quite weird with these dream sequences. But they're pretty good. And like there's a great one where uh, Willow uh, ends up back in high school and they have her dressed in the same outfit that Willow is dressed in in the season one pilot episode and it really lets you see how far Willow has grown as a character it's great um number four is Doppelgangland another great Willow episode where uh evil Willow or vampire Willow comes in from another dimension uh while Anya is doing a spell to try and get her powers back and then it's got you know normal Willow and vampire Willow interacting uh there's a point where they all think that Willow has died and become a vampire and they're all scared of normal Willow and she doesn't know why and it's uh, it's very funny and then when there's a bit where normal Willow is dressed as Vampire Willow pretending to be Vampire Willow. Oh, it's great. It's so good. Uh, number three is Halloween from season two, which is um, the, the earliest episode on my list. I'm like absolutely one of... The, I think it's the first truly perfect episode of Buffy. It's where their Halloween costumes... They turn into their Halloween costumes. So Buffy is dressed up as a medieval princess, so she forgets that she's the Slayer and becomes this kind of scared princess. Uh, Xander is dressed up as a soldier, so he becomes a real soldier, and they actually then, for the rest of the series, pretty much they're constantly like, he'll be like, oh, I remember when I was a soldier. I remember how, like, that his soldier skills kind of go with him. And Willow is dressed as a ghost, and there's a bit where she's dressed as a sexy ghost, and she puts her, she's too scared to go out wearing it, so she puts her sort of 
just bedsheet over her head and then when the costume magic comes out she kind of gets up and the blanket falls off and she's kind of dressed in this slightly more provocative outfit and it's kind of the first time that willow kind of feels comfortable um in her body kind of thing mm. by the end of the episode it's a really good moment character moment for willow i really like it it's good number two is the is hush the silent episode from season four where the gentlemen arrive in sunnydale and steal everyone's voices uh it is an absolutely it is it's a perfect episode of tv uh in terms of like monster of the week episodes of buffy it's easily the best one um uh, it's just great it's a really good it's genuinely scary in a way that tv struggles to be and i love it mm. uh number one and uh oh the timelines they're reconverging and they're coming back and everything is fine my top number one episode of buffy is also my top number one musical it is once more with feeling the musical episode of buffy the vampire slayer It's what? the absolute greatest thing ever. This is how much I love Once More with Feeling, Alex. When I was watching Buffy when it was first on and this episode was on TV, I recorded it. I watched it over and over and over again. And around the same time, I was learning to play the piano. My grandmother was teaching me piano. I brought the Aww. book of music from that episode and tried to learn how to play the songs because that's how much I loved it. It is awesome. It is a big part of my growing up for some reason, is is once more with feeling. Have you seen it? I don't remember. <laughs> I would have remembered if I've seen it, wouldn't I? Probably. Uh, a demon arrives yeah. in Sunnydale and casts a spell that makes everybody sing. Um, and it works really well because they sing about things that they would not... That season is all about them not communicating properly and that's a point in the season mm. where there's a few things that they have to talk to each other about and the spell makes them sing about it to each other. Uh, and mm. some home truths get revealed and it's really it's really well done like the way the way it works as a standalone episode is great the songs are actually you know incredible like really really good uh, Joss Whedon wrote them and then Christoph Beck helped him to kind of flesh them out and Christoph Beck is now a, you know a huge name in kind of um, film scores mm. and stuff like that uh and it's great. It's really, really good. Each character kind of gets their own song. Uh, you know, Spike's song is like a big rock song. Buffy Buffy opens it with this kind of classic Disney-style song at the start. Uh, my favourite track, though, is one that I didn't like when I was a teenager but fell in love with when I rewatched it on my rewatch recently, which was an emotional... I brought a big bucket of ice cream <laughs> for this... <laughs> when I got to when I got to once more with feeling on my rewatch, I went out and brought some ice cream and some some snacks and popcorn, and I I had a, I had a time. It was great. Um, and the song that Tara, because Alison Hannigan was too embarrassed and too nervous to sing, so she doesn't really get much singing lines. Mm. So Willow doesn't have much of a part in the episode, but Amber Benson, who played Tara, actually has a brilliant voice. So she gets this big song where she's singing to Willow about how much she loves her, and it's called Under Your Spell, and it's a beautiful song. It, bell. it makes it me cry. And there is a great mm. bit where there's a really, there's a bit where the lyric is, you make me complete, but she's just going, you make me come complete. And then <laughs> while she's singing that, she's on the bed with Willow and Willow is rising up in the air. It's pretty wonderful. It's pretty incredible, powerful, <laughs> like um, love between the two of them. And it's great. It's absolutely fun. It's, ah, and it went over my head when I was a, um, teenager <laughs> in a big way <laughs> i did not get the implication of that scene at all um 
Yeah, I I know it's you know it's a forty five minute long or fifty minute long episode of a TV show, but I genuinely it's my favorite musical and it's my favorite episode of Buffy. Which now I mean at some point I have to do a reworking of my because I'd forgotten before I did this rewatch I'd forgotten how much I love Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Like it is great, and my top five American TV shows needs to include it. So at some point I'll just do a quick update on that, but I'm not ready for that yet. But yeah, once more with feeling, it's the best episode of Buffy. It's my favorite musical. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. I love when you like you just have surprises and you just go like a train and you won't explain anything and I just have to like, okay, uh, okay, yeah, that's fine. You do your own rules, George. Do your own thing. Sorry. <laughs> As a payback, you you know what you're watching for next week. Okay. <laughs> cool. Well, fun, fun. I think I think I remember. I, I think I need to like watch a couple of songs, but I think I remember that episode. It kind of rings a bell. Mm. I'll have a look, look, look. Good. Nice one. Nice one. All right. Have you got any honourable mentions? What should we do? The five to one first. Oh yeah. Sorry. What's your five to one? So my top five. My number five is Greece. My number four is Moulin Rouge! Exclamation mark. Number three is The Lion King, the 1994 version. My number two is Bugsy Malone. And my number one is Mary Poppins. I love what it. What is your top five? My top five is number five is The Muppet Christmas Carol. Number four is Pitch Perfect. Number three is Anna and the Apocalypse. Number two is Hamilton. And number one is Once More with Feeling from season six of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Awesome Soucher. So, honorable mentions. I yeah. think my first one is has to be Pitch Perfect because That's fair. I can't believe I missed out. Uh, so, uh, Pitch Perfect. And then um, a few, like the ones I mentioned before from uh, Alan Parker, mm. uh, uh, which I didn't realize I watched so many of his musicals. Uh uh, fame, uh, 1980 fame about a group of uh, kids that uh, are in this uh, fame academy. Uh, Pink Floyd, The Wall is kind of, it's a, a concept, I think it's like a concept album mainly. Pretty yeah, cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then that was in 1982. Uh, the Commitments, which I completely forgot. 1991, great film. Uh, then um, Chorus Line, uh, uh, but the the movie version, I've never seen the stage version, uh, directed by it, Richard Attenborough. The Book of Mormon is the only stage musical I've seen live in London. Uh, Beauty and the Beast, 1991 film. Uh, Bedknobs and Broomsticks, I sp spoke about it before. Beautiful film with Angela Lansbury. The Nightmare Before Christmas, uh, Jesus Christ Superstar, uh, the 1973 film. It's got one of the best songs uh, ever, which is um, I Don't Know How to Love Him, uh, where Mary Magdalene sings to Jesus. Beautiful. Amazing. Uh, and then uh, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. It's a musical, but there's only about like four songs in it. But I love that film, so I'm putting it in. <laughs> I don't know what it is, uh, for sure. With, uh, with Marilyn Monroe and Jane Russell. Okay. Uh, you, do know, you don't know Gentlemen Prefer Blondes? No, I've, I don't think I I've ever heard that, those words. Maybe 
quite continental, but diamonds are a pro's best friend. Oh, no, no, I recognise that. Yeah, the song. Yeah, that's the song. That, but amazing film. Beautiful. But yeah, cool. those are my uh, honourable mentions. Nice. Good. Okay, so my honourable mentions are, uh, like you, one of the few musicals I've seen live is The Book of Mormon, so that's uh, my first honourable mention. Uh, Oliver, which um, is probably Uh, my most best sort of childhood musical that I watched when I was a kid, I loved Oliver. Uh, Mary Poppins, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the Gene Wilder version uh, of that (gasps) film. Yes. Yeah, it's good. It's a good musical. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. A Star is Born, the Lady Gaga one. I, I really oh, yeah. like that film. I've got a big soft spot for Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper in that never, film. Never watched it. Um, Aladdin, the Disney Aladdin. Yeah. Is, mm-hmm. I like Lion King a lot, but I probably, I don't know, I, I like the songs in Aladdin. I probably like Lion King more as a film, but I think I like the Aladdin's songs more, if that makes mm. sense. Um, yeah. Nightmare Before Christmas, like you. Uh, Mamma Mia, I have a big soft spot for Mamma Mia, the ABBA <gasps> film. <laughs> I did I forgot about that. I love yeah. Mamma Mia. <laughs> uh, and another one that it's not a good film, but I have a big soft spot for it because Tom Cruise is quite entertaining in it, is uh, Rock of Ages. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, which is the sort of um, 80s hair metal music, jukebox musical type thing uh, that's a good one. See, I think, I think the problem I had this week is like I wasn't really sure how well... Like kind of musical, so anything that has got lots of songs in it is a musical, isn't it? Like School of yeah. Rock would be a musical. Uh, School of Rock, probably, yeah, yeah, I'd say so. It's, mm. it's an odd, it's an odd definition of music. There's not, yeah. Anyway, so yeah. Uh, yeah, and we don't normally do this, but I do have two dishonorable mentions because they have to be mentioned. Ah, oh, Cat- I know one of them. I <laughs> oh, do. You? Well, Cats. Be- well, which you, sp- you spoke about it, yeah. Yeah, Cats. I just have to mention again how bad that is. It's awful. Yeah. And then the other one is the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I don't like it, and I'm tired of pretending that I do. I didn't I like I was talking about it and to someone and I was like I I don't like that I don't understand why people like it. Yeah, I don't understand why people like it. I find it irritating. I find people singing the Time Walk song oh, just go uh, just get in a bin. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, I don't want to poo on people's things they like too much, but I just feel yeah. like there's there's an assumption that people like that and I don't like it. So, there we go. No, me neither. Um, I'm with you. Good. I'm glad. Thank you. So, homework, what are you assigning me? I'm assigning you Bugsy Malone. Mm, fine. I, I'm assigning you to you because I think, I feel that maybe, maybe there is a chance that you <laughs> might really enjoy it. Okay, we'll see. Right, okay, but cool. But also, I would like, I think the songs are really good. Like, even, like, I would say that if you don't enjoy the actual film, I think you would enjoy the songs. Okay. Okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. I will watch it. I'll watch Books Me Alone. I'll watch Books Me Alone. And I'll get back to yeah. you on it. Okay. Uh, I'm assigning... What do I have to watch? You have to watch Once More With Feeling, the musical episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Okay. Thank Great. you. Great. Yes. I want to watch that. Yeah. I'm interested to see what you think of it. Yeah. Uh, so you this... should also watch Anna and the Apocalypse at some point, but I, I yeah, feel like... I definitely want to watch that actually. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I want to, I want to talk to you more about Buffy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So, anything that you would recommend this week? What for my culture catch up? Um, yeah, I think Citizen Kane. 
Mm, you haven't seen Citizen Kane, get it watched. And the second season of The Mandalorian, those are my two things. Mm, something lovely. old and something new. How about you? Uh, I would definitely uh, recommend um, Mark Rainey's Black Bottom and uh, probably The Life Ahead as well. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. As always. Next week, we're going, we're getting back in our time machine and we're heading to the 1990s and we're going to do our top five 90s films. Yes, baby. This yes, is exciting. baby. I'm pretty excited about it. I grew up in the 90s and uh, I have opinions about films that were made in the 90s. So let's do it. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah, the 90s was a good era for films. Yeah, well, I mean, it was a, it was a weird era for films. It was a, like it was like commonly thought of as a bad era for horror films, which is one of my favorite things. Yeah. Um, but Scream came out in the nineties, so how true can that be, really? Anyway, uh, anywho, let's be talking next week about the nineties. But for now, thank you for joining us. Uh, you please do come and join us on all of the social medias. We're most active on Instagram uh, at Culture Bucket Podcast. I think is our handle. Uh, yes yeah. we share a lot of things on there things that we're watching and doing and stuff like that so uh please come and have a look it'd be fun to interact with you and uh look us up on twitter and and all of the social media links are in the uh notes for this episode um we have a facebook group as well discussion group please join that and join the discussion it'd be nice to get some conversations in there um so yeah thank you thank you, Love you. bye, bye.